Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm Richard Bliss, your host. You're listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. And my guest today is joining me from halfway around the world. I'm going to apologize if we have any type of uh, technical difficulties because uh, the call is coming in from uh, China and uh, there might be a little bit, the internet might be slow at this time of night for, um, for my guest. I'm joined by uh, Josh Fairbairn, who is the CEO of Morpho MFG, a manufacturer out of China who uh, specializes in Kickstarter and Indiegogo projects. And he has joined me on the show. Josh, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Josh, you are, by the way, what time is it where you are right now? It is currently 11.48 in the p.m. Well, I appreciate you staying up late to make this call with me. Uh, it, does, it must bring some unique challenges living on the other side of the world from most of your customers. I assume you do most of your business in the U.S., is that correct? Uh, yeah, I would say about 50% is U.S.-based, with the rest being made up between Canada, Europe, Australia, and actually quite a few customers in Israel as well. And I just heard as we uh, as we get started into what your company does, but I just heard that hint of an accent. Um, I'm guessing that's a Canadian accent that I just heard. Eh? Uh, I think it was a boat. It was the a boat. Um, yeah, definitely proud to be Canadian. We the North. So tell me a little bit about. We're going to talk about manufacturing, how it applies to Kickstarter and Indiegogo crowdfunding. What project creators should know before they start working with an overseas manufacturer, particularly one in China, something that you specialize in. But I want to talk to a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, sure. So I guess start at the beginning, September 26, 1988. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was born and raised in Toronto. I, uh, I grew up there and then I spent a little bit of time in Western Canada and Alberta. I ended up going down to BYU University um, studying biochemistry um, for a total of three semesters. And while I loved it, and I think one day I'd like to get back to studying science, I've been doing business since I was 12. You know, I, I'd go to the store, buy candy, come back and sell it for more to the kids that were too lazy to walk to the 7-Eleven across the street. And I just knew that it, it just wasn't a life for me. And so while, you know, while my parents were both very supportive, my dad actually is a lawyer. My mom works as a clinical researcher at a hospital. And so while they were supportive, it was kind of like, a, you know, if you're going to drop out, um, you're kind of on your own financially. And, uh, you know, I, I was OK with that, really. It was a decision that I had to make. And initially, I was supposed to fly to Shanghai and work at the Canadian consulate. Um, but I realized you know, working for the government is probably the same or worse as, as working for a university. And so I, at the last minute, I switched my plane ticket to Guangzhou because I had heard about the Canton Fair. And the Canton Fair, for those who don't know about it, is essentially where all the factories in all of China come to show off their latest goods, to show off the things that they've been working on with their R&D departments. Really, it's, it, I mean, it's similar to CES in Las Vegas. People get together and show off what they can do in, in, in the hopes of landing POs. And now, so obviously, 500 bucks, no job, no money, no friends, no apartment even when I first got there. I obviously wasn't placing POs. Um, but being 6'1", um, about as white as, I'm like one shade 
darker than an albino and being able to speak fluent Mandarin. Um, I actually, I was doing, you know, I was doing stand-up comedy, which was on national TV in China. I was rapping at clubs. I was basically doing anything that I could to make money. And so I stood out, right? Being, being that type of person in China and speaking fluent Mandarin, I stood out. So despite not having money or orders, these factory bosses wanted to be friends with me. And so I really, I really took advantage of that. And so for the first, literally for the first two years of my time in China, I went to two to three factories every single day. And I mean, I'd get picked up by Porsches and Ferraris and BMWs and a Lamborghini once, and they'd take me to their factory and they'd show off and we'd have a good time. And so I basically put together a Rolodex of these factories and what impressed me about them and what they did well and whether they had good management. And, you know, everyone says they can do everything in China, but I broke it down. What can they really do? Can they do CNC? Can they do metal? Can they do plastic? And so I broke down, you know, about two to 3000 factories of what they could do. And I slowly started eliminating them by giving them these tiny little projects. And, you know, I mean, really tiny, like just to see how their communication was. And so my first big project, once I'd raised, I I basically made about 15 grand um, on Kickstarter. I mean, sorry, for a Kickstarter project, which was a pair of headphones. And I was super pumped. We raised 20 grand in our first day. I went out to the factory to pick up the prototype and it was a, it was just excuse me, but it was a piece of shit and it broke my heart. And I was down and out for like four months. But out of that, I realized I can use this experience and the connections I've made to help people avoid the problems that I had. And so that's basically the genesis story of how Kickstarter Morpho Manufacturing was born. And now Morpho Manufacturing is doing, you're listed on Kickstarter's page as one of their trusted partners. Uh, you you have a wide variety of skills and abilities. So as my audience listens, you have some advice I'm sure that you can give that helps somebody who's like, okay, I want to start making something, uh, whether it's a tech thing, uh, a board game or whatever, and I need expertise in manufacturing. What are some of the first pieces of advice you give to anybody who's making that first step into that space? I think a lot of people, you know, rookies in that world, they go in and they don't want to get ripped off. So the first thing they do is they start negotiating for price. Manufacturing is a commodity-based business. You know, if you want to make a pencil, the wood costs a certain amount of money. The lead or whatever they use instead of lead, if it's poisonous these days, costs a certain amount of money. The eraser costs a certain amount of money. And the assembly costs a certain amount of money. And then factories build in their profits. And so what happens is there's this huge misunderstanding and just this common misconception that you can beat Chinese suppliers down on price. And then people start complaining, well, they cut corners here or there. And really what happens is these rookies, they basically force the factories to do so because they don't want to lose the business. But these people come in and they beat the price down and they, ex- they think that they've won. But really, all they've done is created a bad product. And so my number one advice for people making their first product in China is do not base your decision on pricing. You know, these these small businesses, their margins on 1,000 units 
are not affected by 10 cents, right? You know, when you're, when you're a hundred million dollar beast, like we, we excel on growing businesses from one to $100 million. At that point, 10 cents matters. But these rookies, when they come in, their priority should be communication, process, quality, understanding, quality control. They shouldn't worry too much about pennies and pinching little amounts of money. They should focus on the other things that I just mentioned. So you mentioned uh, a couple of times now communication. When you say communication, what do you mean by that? I mean, we're talking about email? I mean, so the app now is WeChat. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am. Yeah, so it's essentially Facebook, Instagram, Apple Pay, every single app that is used in the West, all within one super app. And so you can do basically everything on it. And, you know, I have a few rules that I've followed since the day I started my business. And one of the most important is under commit and over deliver. And so when I talk to somebody and I say, I need this sample and we discuss all the details and they say, look, Josh, I'll have it to you for Tuesday and Tuesday comes and it's not there. They're crossed out of my book, like no second chances. Right. And so, you know, that's, I think I could summarize communication by just saying you do what you say you're going to do and you always deliver on your promises. Okay. You said, so, okay. So I understand communication now that you're very clear on what expectations are and what the deliverables are and then meeting those promises that you've made. That's what you mean by communication. Yes, sir. Okay. And then you also mentioned that something else that when I'm coming in, okay, so the price point you've hit communication, what's the next thing I should be looking at then? Uh, I would say quality, you know, quality. So a, a common tactic of Chinese factories is they'll give you a sample. And they'll say, look, you know, this, you you get the sample and you say to them, point A, point B and point C are wrong. Now, a common response from a Chinese supplier is, don't worry, we'll fix it in mass production. Nine times out of 10, you're going to go pick up your mass production products and it's going to have the exact same problem. And it's usually because they don't know how to solve it. And so quality and quality control, something that I, you know, I really pride our business on is most people think that quality control is something that happens at the end of an order. You go and you check how many goods are good, how many goods get rejected, and you go from there. Um, and, and there's a, a huge problem there because then it's all about finger pointing. And so for us, QC starts before a PO is placed, before any money transactions happen. Every single square millimeter of a product is defined and detailed to the smallest of the minutiae. And so you have a document that defines every single component in total detail. And then, you know, manufacturing is not an easy world. There will be problems. But when there are problems, you take that document between everybody involved in the supply chain and you said, we signed here that this would be like this and it's not. And they have to take responsibility. And so that, you know, that's an easy solution as long as it's done properly. If it's not, people point fingers and no one wants to take responsibility. And so one of the things I'm going to guess, this is kind of a softball question, but one of the key successes of avoiding that is to work with a trusted partner who kind of acts as a middleman to help you make sure you don't run into those problems. Is that, a, is that an opening for you to talk about what Morpho MFG is doing? Yeah, I mean, without being too much of a shameless plug, 
I am a huge believer in paying for good services. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, as a small business starting up, your priority should not be getting the best margins you can. Your priority should be either building the best service or the best product that you can, build a following, create brand equity, create a story. And then as you grow and as you start to have the sales that justify slimming margins, then work on that. So I've got a question. This is a bit of a shift in the conversation. You have been over in China now for five years working with manufacturing. There's a question that always comes up, particularly here in the political arena of the United States, is we should make it in America. It should be made in the U.S. I got to do it in the U.S. And every once in a while, I see somebody well-intentioned to say, I'm going to make my, all my products in the U.S. But China really is, to some degree, the best bet when it comes to manufacturing. Why is that? Why is China so much better than something you could possibly do here in the U.S. when it comes to manufacturing? It's just the shift, right? I mean, China currently is a manufacturing industrial country. It's, it, it, you know, the U.S. or England is more service based. Right. And so what happens is we'll have a lot of people say made in USA. And you know what? Power to that. If they can do it, by all means. But what usually happens is three months down the road, they realize they've wasted three months of their lives and potentially three months of runway that they could have spent, you know, building it in China. And, you know, I mean, I'm by no means an economist. I dropped out after three semesters of biochemistry. But my theory is if you want to build a company that helps support your company, increase your margins to allow your own company to grow faster and hire more, right? And so I think by lowering your margins and, and, and making a good product in China where the infrastructure is there to support, you know, it's not, there's a misconception that crap is made in China. There is. And, you know, back to a shameless plug about using a good middleman with good connections. A lot of crap is made here, but Apple's made here. Sony's made here. You know, all of the some of the biggest brands in the world are made here. And the infrastructure is here to manage that, whereas the time has come and gone for most other countries in the world. You bring up a really valid point, and that is the investment that China has made in modern manufacturing over the last five to 10 years has really allowed them to have some of the most state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, streamlined, automated processes, and which is why we can you know, make the request to have it manufactured overseas, shipped to the U.S., and still do it cheaper and faster than if you did it uh, locally. Now, I might have some listeners who are going to disagree with that, but in general, I think I'm going to stand by that. But you, this brings up something else, and that is there must now be a new renaissance of opportunity of things that you can do that you never even imagined were possible because of this of this revolution in manufacturing capabilities that you know we got caught up in, hey, mold injection, this is what you have to do. But now I've got to believe 3D printing and all of these other aspects are becoming so streamlined, your creativity should be able to go almost anywhere now when it comes to manufacturing. Is that fairly accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, in 2019, I'm saying this a lot more, being the founder of a hardware based e-commerce platform business is the equivalent of being a lead singer of a 1980s rock band. You know, it's the coolest thing to be right now. And so, you know, people are people are able to do stuff that 20 years ago, Walmart was the only one. Right. So I think we have a new initiative called FTM first to market. And so 
you know, 10 years ago, if you wanted to build a new product, you needed millions of dollars, you needed a team, you needed this huge infrastructure, you probably needed a couple years. The advent of crowdfunding allowed you to cut that time down by doing a prototype with a little, little amount of money and then using that money to then fund the development of the product. What FTM is aiming to do is to get you Kickstarter rendering, 3D rendering, and then CNC prototyping. And Josh, so, Josh yeah. go ahead and repeat that for me because we cut out right there. FTM is, uh, is trying to accomplish what? Uh, like from the very beginning of what FTM is? Yeah, F, no, just FT. You said your goal with FTM is to do what? To cut down even both past crowdfunding and allow people to get ready for a crowdfunding campaign in four to six weeks through a four-step process, which is 2D conceptualization, 3D engineering, 3D rendering, and CNC prototyping. And the, the problem with 3D printing, although I think it is revolutionary, although I do think it will change manufacturing forever, you're still seeing a little bit too much of the Yoda head look, which I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not creating usable products, right? It's, it's, it's still in its infancy. It's not a mature technology. Whereas Kickstarter has a bit of a loophole. And I, you know, I'm saying that as much as possible because I can't wait for them to call me out. Kickstarter requires you to do two things. One, well, it requires you to have a working prototype, right? That's basically the rule. Now we've found a bit of a loophole. If you can make a video of a prototype that looks like it works and you, and then, so what happens, I'll use an example. We had a customer who had a water bottle that you could scoop river water out of and the battery would boil the water and make it drinkable. It was a great product and we made it and it worked and he raised $80,000 in his first day, I think. Then the problem is, is that that battery with the capacity of the water load could boil the water something like 1.7 times. Now, it doesn't take a, a, a brain surgeon that boiling 0.7 times would be equivalent of boiling zero times. And so what happened is he put, well, he put two times on his Kickstarter campaign. The Reddit trolls came out of the woodworks. They did all the math behind it and said he, that he was lying, and they dropped the campaign, and Kickstarter kicked it off. And so what we've realized with FTM is you need two things. You need one, a prototype that looks like it works, that feels like it works, that works for a Kickstarter video. And number two, you need to prove the science behind your product. And if you can do those two things, then you're set for a Kickstarter campaign and you're able to get to market at a, a budget and a time frame that's a fraction of what it used to be. Got it. Now, uh, Josh, we're out of time. If somebody wanted to get hold of you, get hold of uh, Morpho uh, MFG, how do they go about um, reaching out to you? Because as my listeners, because you do more than what we've been able to cover on this sh short call, if they wanted more information about possibly working with you and your company, how would they reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. Feel free to check out our, our website, www.morphomfg.com. And uh, we have live chat on there 24 hours. So any questions, uh, happy to come through. And uh, I can, I, I'll send you a link that you can post beneath the podcast as well. Oh, that'll work. Hey, Josh, I certainly appreciate your time that you had and, and sharing uh, some insights when it comes to doing manufacturing in China. This has been very helpful, and I think my audience will really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Richard. Really good to meet you. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Josh Fairbairn, who is the CEO of Morpho MFG, a Chinese manufacturing company based out of Guangzhou, 
that is sharing insights about how to do manufacturing and how to work with a, a partner overseas. Hopefully you found something inspiring. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at the Funding the Dream on Kickstarter uh, podcast Facebook group so that we can have a con continue to have a conversation. Thanks for listening. Take care.